Some of you are having way too much fun. Um, I can just see it, and I love it. It's great. Um, um, so sorry about our sound system this morning. This happened a couple of weeks ago. It kind of cut out for a while during uh, practice or whatever it was as we were getting ready for the service, and it came back on. We thought, well, maybe. Uh, but now it's doing it again during the service, so either there's a connection or there's a something in an amplifier or... How many love electronics? When they work, they're amazing. Uh, these are about 14 years old now. By the way, we lost a pump motor this last week uh, for our heat system. We're on a geothermal system, and, and uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with supply constraints right now, but it's hard to get uh, building materials, things like that. We were able to find a motor for the pump in one part of the world and a pump in another part of the world, <laughs> bring it together in our well. It's about 800 feet deep, but anyway, uh, bring it together in our well, and we have heat. Not that we need a whole lot of it this morning, but uh, I've been interesting. Uh, uh, we live in a fallen world, that's all I can say, and it's, uh, it's always uh, challenging. Hey, we're in Matthew this morning, and uh, if you brought a Bible, uh, if you're on your phone uh, with a Bible app, we're going to be in the NIV version um, <clears throat> this morning. I just like the wording a little better. I memorized some of this years ago, and, and I, I can't read it from other versions because it's supposed to sound like this kind of thing. So anyway, I'm going to read from the NIV this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, this morning, uh, looking at probably the most famous and well-known of all of Jesus' teaching. We affectionately uh, refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount because it took place on a hillside in the northeastern, uh, excuse me, western part of the Sea of Galilee. It's also, if you'll read it, and I want to encourage you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It covers uh, probably a collection of sermons that Jesus taught, although it's kind of laid out as one sermon uh, by Matthew, really to illustrate the kingdom of God. How many know there's a new king and a new kingdom? And that's what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks together, about the new king and, and the new kingdom. And, and of course, Matthew puts it all together to really illustrate how different the kingdom of God is from the kingdoms of this world. And it really gives you a, a, a picture of who Jesus is. Now, it's, it's, this, is, this will be... If you read it and think about it from your heart, this will be the most challenging teaching you have ever wrestled with in your walk with the Lord, beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you're uh, uh, someone who's been walking, Jesus, walking with Jesus for a long time, I, I want to challenge you to, to read it all in one setting. It takes about 20 minutes, and maybe read it once or twice or three times during the next five weeks, because this this teaching really is a plumb line for Christianity, and it's a great uh, section of Scripture for you to ask yourself, am I really following Jesus, or am I on a Christian rut? Am I just doing a routine thing, or do I just come to church? This will challenge you to think about who Jesus is and about your relationship with him. If you're a younger person or a younger believer here this morning, and uh, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for three or four or five years, this is a great section of Scripture. Read all three chapters. It's a great section for you to go, wait a minute, is this what I signed up for? Is this who I want to follow? 
is this who I want to become like? It's, just, it's a great section of scripture for you to evaluate. Is this what faith in Jesus literally means? And uh, for some of you who are, you know, in the process of, um, you know, checking Jesus out or, or wrestling with the idea of faith, maybe you're here with a friend or you just stumbled in by yourself. And I'm just so thankful that you came. And by the way, you're more than welcome. And, and I'm excited to get into this with you. Uh, when I was wrestling with who Jesus was and whether or not I wanted to follow him in my life, I was a junior in college. And uh, s some friends of mine, <laughs> I kept asking questions and they were so tired of trying to answer questions they couldn't answer. And you know how sometimes when you're a little bit afraid, you keep asking questions because you're afraid to make the decision to commit your life to Jesus. And that's kind of where I was in, in my walk with him. And so I kept asking questions. And finally, one of them just said, you just got to read the Bible. You just have to read the Bible. So I went to the bookstore at the U of O. <coughs> I went to the bookstore at U of O. And, you know, I looked for a Bible. There, there wasn't many. But I, I, I found this red uh, New American Standard hardcover. And, and I bought it. And uh, I took it with me on a ski trip to Mount Bachelor. Uh, several of us were going there for the spring vacation week. And, uh, and, and so um, I smuggled it. Okay, I hid it in my suitcase. And, and when all my friends went to bed, I got it out. Because <laughs> I didn't want them to see me reading the Bible. This is the truth. And uh, I was a little afraid that someone would think I was becoming a Christian. <laughs> or a Jesus freak, or whatever. So um, I started reading Matthew, you know, first book in the New Testament. Started in chapter 1, and uh, just started reading. Chapter 1 is genealogy, and that didn't make a lot of sense. Chapter 2 talks about the birth of Jesus. Chapter 3, uh, his baptism in water. All of a sudden, when I got to chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, something happened. It was just like a light went on. It was just like, whoa. And in a few moments there, I felt, I, I tasted an eternal word from God, that God was speaking to me through his word. And it stirred things in my heart that I had always longed for. And I realized this Jesus was someone I wanted to know and I wanted to follow. And that came through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, God obviously can speak to us from a variety of places in Scripture, but this is one of those uh, sections of Scripture that are truly challenging and truly helps us see what the kingdom of God is all about and the person of Jesus, who he's like and what he's all about. So looking forward to... Uh, getting into this uh, series with you. It takes place early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Matthew 4, just prior to where we'll start reading today, uh, he has just called Andrew and Peter and James and John to come follow him. And of course, he's going to change their life. He's going to transform them, help them become fishers of men, which they had no idea what that meant at that point in their life. But they trusted and they obeyed and they followed him. And we're going to pick it up now in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, uh, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, which is that northern region around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, people uh, brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, 
uh, demon-possessed, uh, those having seizures, uh, some translations say epile epilepsy, uh, the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis, which was a region of 10 towns just north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jerusalem was to the south, the capital of Israel. Judea, all the region around uh, Jerusalem. And the region across uh, from the Jordan, all these people began to follow him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for truth, for justice, integrity or honesty in relationships. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Some translations, sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you uh, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you uh, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, and if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city or a town uh, built on a hill cannot be hidden. <clears throat> Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they uh, put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. He's, he's talking about how the scribes would, would write out word for word and copy the scriptures uh, on parchment paper. And there were different punctuation marks in the Hebrew language. He said, not even one punctuation mark will be taken from the, the, from the word of God or, or from the law until everything is accomplished. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven and whoever practices and teaching, teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. And of course, that's where we'll stop this morning. Um, one of the things I do when I am, um, you know, trying to begin a Bible study, I guess you could say at home or maybe with a group here at church or just with a friend over coffee, one of the first things I do is I, I ask, uh, who is speaking and, and who are they speaking to? So just trying to identify who's speaking, who they're speaking to. Of course, Jesus is speaking. Who's he speaking to? We'll talk about that a little bit in just a moment. Second thing that I, I try to ask myself is, you know, what are they saying? In other words, what's the most obvious point? What's, what's the main point of, of what they're trying to say? And then the, the last, why? 
why are they addressing this at this particular time or in this particular way? And of course, that didn't lead you to all kinds of other questions that you can try to uh, dig out and, and discover. So let's just start at the beginning. Who's Jesus speaking to? Uh, well, in Matthew 4, verse 23 through 25, he's speaking to a large group of people from a variety of different places around the Sea of Galilee. Many are sick. Uh, some are in severe pain. Uh, many are lame or paralyzed. So you can imagine just the effort to get these people to where Jesus was when he delivered uh, this, this message to people. Uh, some were deeply troubled with demonic spirits, had demonic strongholds. Uh, demonic possession in some cases in their life. They had seizures. Some had epilepsy. So some were suffering, um, you know, biological, chemical seizures, and some were struggling with uh, spiritual seizures. Uh, sometimes I've seen people uh, react uh, to demonic forces that they're struggling with in their soul. Um, but all these people are very poor. All these people are highly marginalized by uh, the society they lived in. They were outcasts, and they all literally struggled every day uh, to, to eke out an existence. And, of course, I think we know the Roman uh, government was ruling uh, Israel at this particular time. They were you know, very totalitarian, dictatorial, uh, ruled by their mil military, and uh, they had no welfare system, and they had, they had no time for these people. These people were a burden. Uh, to them. So they were simply, you know, thrown away. They were outcasts. Um, the Jewish culture, by the way, wasn't a whole lot better. Um, the Jewish culture, of course, uh, uh, religious culture, supposedly based on uh, the Old Testament and, and the law, but unfortunately by the time that Jesus came, it was a, a very status-oriented culture. Remember the Jewish leaders wanted the best seats? Uh, if they were gathering for a meal with Jesus or gathering together for, for any reason at all. There was, it, there was a pomp. There was circumstance. They prayed out loud in the marketplaces. They blew trumpets or horns to draw attention to the gifts they, they, they gave in the, the temple. They were, um, unfortunately, uh, not a culture that really, really recognized these people. In their theology at that time, uh, to be blessed by God, you were wealthy, you had status, uh, you were healthy physically. You needed to, you know, keep the law, a variety of kinds of washings that these people, these poor uh, outcasts, uh, this part of, they, they just couldn't be a part of that at all. It was so demeaning for them to even think of being a part of the Jewish law or Jewish blessing or, or Jewish inheritance. Now, Jesus comes on the scene <laughs> preaching about a new kingdom and healing the sick. And one day this large crowd gathers, we see in Matthew chapter 5, and he says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness in the world, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As Jesus is speaking, all of a sudden they realize, he's speaking to us. 
He's, he's including us in the blessings of God and in the promises that God has for Israel. And it literally blew their minds. I mean, talk about revival. I mean, once they realized what Jesus was saying, I mean, word went out and there was a crowd everywhere Jesus went. It says in Matthew 7, verse uh, 28 through 29, this will be at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed at their teaching. Now, that word amazed doesn't mean a lot in our culture. Everything is amazing to me. I mean, pizza's amazing, you know. My wife is amazing, which, by the way, is the only time I use it the, the way it's supposed to be. Uh, my bike ride on Thursday was amazing. I mean, it was, it, it was, we just overused that word, so it's lost some of its, of its uh, significance. But um, the word literally in the Greek language means out of mind. This was so astounding, might be a better in our culture today. This was so, it blew their minds. It was outside of any category or anything that ever imagined or thought could happen. That, that, that someone would come and include them. That someone would come and invite them to, 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 to recognize that God wanted to bless them, that he wanted to be for them or to work uh, in their lives. And it, it, just, it just blew their minds. Now. Since that time, 2,000 years has taken place, of course, and uh, the church over history has taken these blessings and kind of, you know, we, we, we religiousize everything, by the way. That's our, just our nature. As Westerners, we, you know, we take things apart, dissect everything, uh, even though that's not what Jesus meant or what Jesus said. We just come up with all ways to, uh, to apply. Um, we call these the Beatitudes now. I'm not sure if that came from Latin or whatever. The word literally... Uh, just means blessings, but uh, basically we have made them virtues for people to try to attain to if they're really sincere followers of, of Jesus Christ. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Uh, it's, it's not a bad thing. I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit for those, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many think it's, it's a good thing to recognize how desperately you need God and how desperately you need his righteousness? And of course, we we, we thought about that when we were receiving communion. So, you know, poor in spirit, certainly, certainly true. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isn't it right for us to grieve over the fallenness of the world we live in? Isn't it right for us to grieve over loss and, and grieve over injustice and unfairness in society? It certainly is. And there's so much of fallenness around us. Uh, we are certainly grieved. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Meekness, by the way, isn't weakness at all. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I mean, uh, Moses, great example. Uh, meekest man, it says in the Bible, uh, in, in all the earth. Uh, was, he, was he a weak person? <laughs> He's strong. God did mighty things through his life. but So he didn't think of himself less uh, or, or less of himself, but he thought of himself left. His concern wasn't about himself. It was about God's people, and it was about God's glory, and it was about, you know, God being at work in the world at that time. So these different, uh, if you want to call them blessings, to be honest, they really are where we find happiness in life. 
as these character qualities and character traits begin to develop in our life, and I could go through them all and you know, try to give practical application. But that's not what the people heard when Jesus said these things. They simply heard, he's talking to me. He's including me. And could I suggest this morning, if you're a seeker here this morning just asking questions about Jesus, that's where faith starts. You need to understand so much that there's a new king and a new kingdom. That, that, that there's something beyond this world and it's supernatural and it's real and it's eternal. And when it touches your life, you, you, don't, you don't ever forget it. You, you can't forget it because it begins to draw you to a new king and a new kingdom with your life. And, and, and to be honest, you may, not, you may deny it, you, you, you may not live up to it, but you'll never be the same. There'll be a restlessness in your soul longing for the eternal thing that God spoke, longing for that word, longing for his presence, longing for the truth about who he really is. And I, I think that's the first thing that Jesus wanted to do is just simply in, include these people in the new kingdom. Second thing I think uh, that I see in these verses, the next thing he does is challenge them. Let's, let's look at verse 17 together. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, this was really important for Jesus to say because Jesus is kind of a revolutionary, okay? He's changing things. He's different than the status quo in, in, in Israel at this time. And when something new begins to appear on the scene, isn't it amazing how quickly people want to just throw away the past and, and begin to move toward the new enlightenment or the new age or the new revelation or, or the new truth? And Jesus says here, I, I, didn't, I don't think I came to abolish the law. I didn't, I didn't come to get rid of any, any word from this book. Don't think I came to rewrite the book so that it fits the cultural hunger or desires for the way we want to live that seems so much more maybe convenient or comfortable or just allows me to do what's uh, was more of what I want to do with, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, there in verse 20, that's another mind-blowing statement that Jesus made to this crowd uh, that had gathered together to listen to him and become his followers, okay? Because the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were the kind of the gold standard, so to speak, of fastidious attempts to keep the law. 
uh, to extremes. And of course, for if they weren't righteous, who, who could be? Uh, but Jesus is going to now begin to explain what all of that means. And we're going to look at some of those things in the weeks to come. Uh, but unfortunately, we, we don't get to do it this morning. But I'm going to give you a little taste, if that would be okay, so that you could begin to understand. Jesus is going to say things like this in the verses to come. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay, verse 21 would be an example. You have heard it said, do not commit murder, that anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother, anyone who calls them a fool, anyone who says, you're an idiot, anyone who slanders his neighbor behind their back will be in danger of the fires of hell. Wow. Really? Is Jesus trying to equate slander or malicious gossip or name-calling? Is he, is he trying to equate that with murder? I mean, is it possible that the same heart that murders is the same heart that feels the right to degrade someone else and not value their life? Jesus is starting to make people think about the law. What, what was the law written for and, and why did God say the things that he did? Another one, verse 27. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, even if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And then he goes on to say this. If, you, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. It would be better to be maimed in this life than for your whole body uh, to spend eternity in hell. Now, if, if we all walk in with patches over our eye next week, I'll, I'll know <laughs> that you are taking the uh, sermon maybe a little bit too serious. <laughs> but but uh, Jesus is going to go on from here, and he's, he's, he's going to begin to talk about really the heart of the law and, and what God intended. And sadly... Use the big boys. I was going to make a really important point. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. Let me try to talk loud, and hopefully if it pops back on. Um, isn't it interesting in our culture, we try to water this down so it can be something we can live in our own human strength rather than something that calls us to a, a completely higher standard and, and gives us no option but to come to Jesus and rely the power of the Holy Spirit to transform and change us from our inner man. And yet that's the very thing that Jesus is setting the stage for uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. See, there's a new king <laughs> And there's a new kingdom. There it comes. Coming back. There's a new king. And there is a new kingdom. And uh, we're going to get a glimpse uh, of that in these verses as, as we start uh, getting into them. Matthew 7, verse 28 through 29. When Jesus had finished these sayings, uh, these things, the crowd was amazed because he taught as one who had authority. He walked around Israel like he owned the place. 
of course he did. He was God. <laughs> but, but he understood the law at a depth that they'd never, they'd never, seen, never understood. It had been this superficial thing, uh, this religious uh, status. If I keep the law, I'll be here rather than a real transformation and change uh, in, in people's hearts. So let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of the law? Why did God give it? Uh, to, to steal all your fun? I mean, that's what I felt when I was a kid, you know. If, if, if I had to obey my parents, it's like, good grief. Who wants to do that? I had this great thing planned. Yeah. Why did he give them the law? Well, uh, he called them out of slavery in Egypt. He, he, he led them to a mountain called Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses goes up on the mountain. God speaks, gives ten commands. Uh, in the Old Testament. Actually, there are 613 commands if you read all five books of the Old Testament. So uh, th there's a lot of different commands. But here was the promise. I, he, God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. G God was calling a people to be set apart for him, not holier than thou, but to experience the happiness and the blessing that God wanted to give people who would begin to line up their life with the truth of who he is. See, the things in God's word really illustrate his character and his heart. And of course, the laws are there for that reason. Unfortunately, we can't keep them. We, we just can't. I don't know if you're familiar with Israel's history, but they did a horrible job of, of trying to keep the law. An epic fail over the next 600 years. I mean, they just fell away from God. And, and of course, their, their kings led them away from God. The people fell into idolatry constantly. And the prophets would come and, and they would lament over how Israel had turned away from God. How terrible, how the terrible things they had done. But then... If you read Isaiah or you'll read Jeremiah. But then they always give them hope in spite of this epic fail. They always say, God has not given up on you. Even though he should turn his back and walk away, he has chosen to draw near to you and to come closer to you. Isn't it interesting when we fail, we feel like draw, God draws away. But the truth is, he draws near. He wants to help us with our, with our struggle or our, our weakness. And if you're someone who feels like, man, he could never love me, I want you to know when we fail, that's when God's close. That's when God cares. How many of you parents, I mean, when your kids fall, you're right there wanting to help them with everything they're going through. And that's what God promises to do. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter uh, 31, verse 31 through 34, God says, okay, here, here's what I'm going to do. Rather than writing the law on stone tablets, trying to conform your behavior, so to speak, from the outside in, I'm going to come and write my law in your heart and put my law in your mind. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors uh, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of uh, Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband, meaning I was faithful to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel 
after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to take out our stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. And he came to give us a new heart that loves God's word and a new mind that longs to understand God's word. And he started that with me uh, a few years ago when I was in college, uh, that day that I began to read the Sermon on the Mount, there was just something there that longed for real, that longed for truth, that longed for life, and longed for something that only God could, could bring in my life. Matthew 5, verse 17, let me read it again. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. And of course, that's what Jesus came to do through his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He's come to literally transform us from the inside out. So I have a picture for you. It's a picture of an iceberg, and I'm going to put it up here. Um, I think all of us are familiar with icebergs. You learned about them in high school or some uh, class maybe in in college, uh, but you know, the, the interesting thing about icebergs, there's this small bit of ice or snow or mountain, uh, however they're formed, on the top. And then there's all this ice underneath the surface. That's a picture of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the picture of where Jesus is trying to take the people of Israel. You, 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 you were raised with the law uh, by, the, uh, by, by the Pharisees and the scribes and the, the leaders in Israel. That would be the surface. But I'm going to take you to a whole new level. I'm going to bring a depth of understanding in your soul so that you can be transformed from the inside out so that you can have a new heart and that you could have a new mind. Aren't, aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on us when we fail? But he wants to draw near to us. He wants to come nearer to us. He wants to help us with our weaknesses. You know, some of us struggle with habits or addictions over and over and over again. And we go through life going, <coughs> that's why I don't have any hair. I've done it a lot. But we go through life beating ourselves up. We live in a cycle of condemnation. I'll never do that again, Lord. We do good for, you know, a couple hours. And then, you know, we begin to fall back into the habit. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you can't live the law. You can't. You have no human strength. You don't even have human desire some days. You can't do it. We have to be transformed from the inside out through the renewing of our mind and our heart and the healing. Here's where the Holy Spirit is so wonderful. He wants to heal your soul so that in your soul, you literally begin to believe in the law and you begin to discover the happiness that comes from living according 
to what was written in the Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit is doing it in your life. And it's, it's like nothing else in the world. Could someone say amen to that? It's like nothing else in the world. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we come to church? Isn't that why we want to follow Jesus? I don't want to be religious. I don't want to play games. I don't got time for this. Well, fishing. But I love Jesus. He's my life, and I want to follow him with my life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. So we're going to launch out on a journey here for the next uh, four weeks and continuing to look at some of the things that Jesus teaches uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. But I felt like, felt like maybe there was something personal that I could share as we, we close here this morning. So maybe... Well, anyway.
Okay, here, oh, I guess we have sound back. There you go. Apparently you're supposed to sing. We do have a sound system, so I'll let you do it. When I, I ask uh, Shelly if he'd lead us into graves, into gardens, because I just, that song uh, is, is, is what I'm trying to share and what I'm trying to pray. Jesus, here this morning, thank you for your love. You draw near to us even when we fail, and we thank you for that. Lord, for each person, would you come today? Lord, strengthen us and encourage us. Help us and fall in love with you and your word and your way. We're excited to go on this journey together. Pray blessing on each one. In Jesus' name. Can we say amen together? the world but it couldn't fill me a man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough then you came along together and every desire is now satisfied here in your life oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you Lord there's Nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. My failures and flaws, Lord, you see them all. And you still call me friend. Thank you, Jesus. As the God of the mountain is the God of the valley, and there's not a place you are mercy and grace won't find me again. Sing it out with me now. Here we go. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing. You turn morning to dancing, here we go. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only 